love to read um, periodicals and magazines, and I came across an article a few weeks ago. Um, it was in uh, Fast Company magazine, and uh, the article is called, We Aren't Busier, So Why Do We Think We Are? And uh, it was based on some research that's been done recently by Oxford University on time use research. And what they did was they um, took um, time journals and studies that had been done from 1961 and they compared it to time journals today and how people spend their time. And one of the really interesting things is they found that in general people today feel much busier than people reported feeling in 1961. However, if you just look at the, at the data, what you find is this, that for men, men today spend less hours doing paid work and more hours doing unpaid work, like chores and stuff at home. And on average, a male today has about 50 minutes more free time than men did back in 1961. Women today spend time putting in more paid work, less unpaid work, and unfortunately there's no change overall for them. But the point is this, that we are not busier today than people were in 1961. But again, if you ask people today, are you busier than previous generations? Most people will say yes, and if you ask people, are you busier than you were, say, a couple years ago? Most of us will say, yes, we are busy. We think we're busier than we actually are. So why is that? And in the study, they talk about some, some reasons for that. One is they think that, that just socially, just busy has become the modern equivalent of good, right? So it used to be if you saw somebody and you were like, hey, how are you doing? They'd say, good, right? Now they say, how are you doing? I'm busy, right? Like, when's the last time you talked to somebody and you're like, hey, how are you doing? They're like, I, I got nothing to do, you know? <laughs> I like, you don't tell your boss that, right? You don't tell your parents that. They're like, well, we'll find you something to do, right? You don't tell, hey, and for many of us, it's kind of a, it's a status symbol. It's self-worth. When we say we're busy, it's our way of saying I'm important. I got stuff going on. I got, I got things to do. Now, this is really interesting. I, I, I read in this article about how back in 1840, in 1840, having excess free time actually signified that you were an important person. And we're told that in, in Paris in 1840, really, really important people would take, I know it sounds crazy, I'm not making this up. In Paris, they would go through the arcades and they would take, they would have turtles on a leash and they would walk them through the arcades in Paris. And that was proof that you were a really important person because you had enough time to walk a turtle on a leash, right? One of the interesting things is, and I, I you, you may you may believe this, that if you, if you keep telling people that you're busy and you keep telling yourself then that, that you're busier than you actually are, at some point you'll start to believe it. And I think that's kind of part of what we're going through. We've said it so much and we've thought it so much that we actually believe about ourselves something that isn't entirely true. But there was a second thing in this article, and it was a big one, that uh, they say is contributing to just our feeling of being busy. And that is all the modern distractions the very unique modern distractions that we are dealing with today that no previous generation had to deal with. What they said is mostly we are today trying to multitask 
on a continual basis the way no one ever has. Cell phones is a, is a great example of that. Right? And so for, for so many of us today with our smartphones, um, you know, we're constantly, like we're always multitasking. And, and while we're doing something, a text comes in or an email comes in or you know, there's a fa- somebody said something about you on Facebook, you better go see you know, what it was. Or there's a Twitter, we got our tablets with us and we got to check our email and all that. And, be, and what happens is anytime we're doing something, and then there's a kind of a, one of these distractions um, that comes in, our phone beeps or whatever, and we go to answer it. What it does is it creates a little bit of, of tension in us because now our attention is being pulled in two directions. There was a thing we were doing, you know, our, our homework, or our schoolwork, or listening to a sermon or whatever it is, right? And then we kind of get pulled to the side and we begin to feel a little tension and that, that tension builds up after a while. And they think really it's probably this, all this technology and the multitasking, and, and a lot of evidence is coming in that's saying this is probably one of the really big contributors to us feeling like we're busier than we actually are. So it was really interesting, this huge study, they said, here's the number one thing that you can do uh, to help yourself not feel all this tension, and that is to stop trying to multitask. And part of what that means is you just need to take control. You need to turn the phone off at times. Uh, you know, when you go to bed, when you're, when you're listening to a sermon, when you're having dinner with your family, you turn it off or you silence it. You don't answer your email all day long. And if you'll do this, the studies say, you'll feel less busy. Now, today we're coming to... Uh, a story in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, if you're new to Gateway, we are uh, making our way through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, passage by passage, we are, we are one year and a month into the study. And we probably have about a year and a month or so to go. Um, and so we're in chapter 10. And we're going to look at a story that kind of talks a little bit about what we're talking about this morning. It says this, Now as Jesus and his disciples were on their way. So we're two and a half years into the ministry of, of Jesus at this point, about six months to go. And he's on his way to Jerusalem, about a six-month march towards Jerusalem where he'll go to the cross. And as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, she had a sister whose name was Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha, and so you get the picture here, Jesus is in their home, Mary's sitting listening to Jesus teach, But Martha was, notice, she was distracted. She was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So she's trying to multitask here. And she came to Jesus and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, why are you anxious, right? You ever feel that way? Why are you troubled? about many things, right? So there's just so many things going on here, Martha. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you for bringing us here this morning, and I believe that you have a very, very important and timely message for us. And my prayer now is that we'll be able to set aside all the things that might distract us, so that like Mary, we can hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So Mary and Martha, and they may sound familiar to you. Um, they have a brother named Lazarus. 
And uh, commentators believe maybe this might be the first time, or maybe not, that Jesus has come in contact with them. But we know that he'll have uh, more interaction with them in the future with Martha, individually with Mary, and of course with Lazarus. They become close friends as a family to Jesus. And a lot of times when you come to this passage, the, kind of the typical approach is Mary is good and Martha is bad. Mary's bright and Martha's kind of, you know, she's a loser. And, and be like Mary and don't be like Martha. And I actually think that's really missing the bigger point of what Jesus has for us. So we're going to start by just breaking this down and let's talk about the good. There's some bad, but Let's talk about the good first. And it's been said that really Mary and Martha both have some very good things about them. So let's start by thinking about Martha. And we might put it this way, there's Martha's hands. That Martha's kind of a a doer, that there's a good side to Martha. In verse 38, it tells us this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha, notice Martha opened her home to him. So Jesus is traveling along. He's, he, he's got a, a group of people with him. He doesn't have a, a tour bus. He doesn't have a Winnebago with him or an Airstream. He's, he's just homeless. He's depending on people when he comes into towns to take him and his guys in. He comes to a, a town. It's not named here, but we know it's Bethany. And as he comes to town, who invites him into her home? And that would be Martha. That's what Martha does. So Martha's got some good things about her. She's not, she's not an atheist. She's, you know, she, she's not Judas. She loves Jesus. She's, she wants to open her home to him. She wants to practice hospitality and serve him and, and bless him. And in fact, kind of the irony is the whole reason that Mary can sit in the living room and listen to Jesus teach is because her sister invited Jesus to come to their house in the first place. And Martha probably even cleaned up the living room and set up the whiteboard for Jesus. And so now Mary gets to go in and be a part of that. So when Martha hears that Jesus is coming to town, I think her her domestic instincts kind of kick in and she wants to provide some place for Jesus and his guys to hang out. So, of course, being type A, she decides, you know, the house needs to be clean. You can't just have the Son of God come over and have the table be dusty. So she's got to dust the table and probably making a trip to Winco because there's a whole bunch of them and, you know, setting the table and baking. And she'll, she's just kind of a whirlwind of activity because she wants her home to be just a great place for Jesus to come. And I, I love that about Martha. I think that's great that she really wants to honor Jesus that way. And some of you are like that. You love having people over. And when you have them over, you want to be able to bless them. And that's great. That's, that's Martha. And then there's her sister, Mary. And Mary's got some great things about her as well. It says she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what Jesus said. So Mary's very different than her sister. Um, instead of busy with activity, she just wants to sit at the feet of Jesus Because she's more about hearing Jesus teach, hearing his words, having a relationship with him. Today, we would express that by opening our Bible. That's one of the ways that we spend time with Jesus, by spending time in in prayer, by listening to teaching and sermons and and taking part in worship and, and meditating on the word of God. But don't miss this. There's an aspect to which Mary is extremely countercultural because in that day, what would happen is if, if you opened up your home and, are, and you, were, you were blessed enough to have a rabbi come teach in your home, which Jesus was, it's very rare that that would happen. But if a rabbi came, it was a big deal. So you'd want the house to be ready for them. And, and then when the rabbi taught, the men would go into the living room and listen to the rabbi teach, but the women would go in the kitchen. 
And oftentimes they might leave the door open so they could, they could hear what was being taught. But they were in the kitchen getting the meal ready and the men were sitting and, and listening to the teacher. But, but Mary goes and sits with the guys. And so there's a lot of stuff going on here, even culturally. And Jesus really in, encourages this. But she's, she's kind of countercultural because... Her first priority is to be with Jesus, is to connect with Jesus so she doesn't really care what society says. She doesn't really concern what culture says. She just wants to get as close to Jesus as possible. And so we have, we have Mary who has this heart for God. We have Martha who, ha- who has these hands that want to serve. And it's been said that what we need is Mary's heart and Martha's hands, that we, we really need both of them. Now, a lot of times when people come to this passage, what they say is, here are two different ways of approaching God. There's the contemplative, and then there's kind of the active. And you can be one or be the other. And I think that's really missing the point. The point is we need both of these things. Both of these need to be a part of how we come to God. So that's Mary, that's Martha, some great things about them. But then, though, there's kind of a downside. And we know all about that. In verse 40, it tells us about kind of the bad thing that Martha's dealing with. But Martha was, again, notice, was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So it's a lot of stuff. And she came to Jesus and she said, Lord, don't you even care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? It's like middle school all over again, right? Like, so, and I wonder how many of you, if you were in Martha, if if you were type A and, and Jesus was coming to your house, right? How many of you would be stressed out like Martha was stressed out? That's just probably where you'd go. You, the house is a mess and you got to get it clean and there's not enough food and play settings and there's dusting to do and you got to get fresh linens, you know, on the beds for, for Jesus. And you're just kind of, Martha's in a panic mode. She just panicked with all the stuff she has on her to-do list. And it, I, I don't know if you, if you go that, to that place, if you tend to get like that when people are coming over, right? It's the holidays. So I don't know when people come to your house, are you more like Mary? Are you more like Martha? And my guess is probably some of us, myself included, are a little bit more like, like Martha. At our house, we have a lot of gatherings over the holidays. Um, we have grow group meetings at our house. And uh, honestly, I feel a little bit like Martha during those times. I, I'd like to think that it's because I just really want to bless people. But part of it is because I'm like Martha. I, I easily become distracted by the lesser things. And there's kind of an illness, if you will, uh, a pathology to what Martha's going on, uh, to what's going on in her here. And I kind of followed it this way in the text. It starts with distraction. So it says in the text that first she's distracted and in the Greek that word distraction means to be dragged away, which is I think a great picture because we can become so distracted by all the secondary stuff that we're, we're, we're dragged away from the most important things happening right in front of us. Have you ever been in a setting where there's just a great thing happening right there but you're not there? You're not experiencing it. You're, you're, you're texting or you're worried about something or you're thinking about something else or you're working on your to-do list. I mean, the, the best thing about this story is the fact that Jesus is sitting right there. He's, he's right in the house with Martha, but she isn't enjoying it because she's distracted. I mean, she had options. Type A's, you know, we forget sometimes that we have Options. She could have, Martha could have decided when Jesus came over, like, there's nothing more important than being with Jesus. So she could have went and sat down next to Mary and, you know, told Jesus, I'm going 
I'm going to be in here taking notes. I'm not going to be in the kitchen. At some point, Jesus, uh, I hear you talk a long time. People are going to get hungry. You're going to see it, you know, and they're going to need a Snickers or something. And, and um, I hear you're really good at that, at like making food. So just want to give you a heads up. I'm going to sit here and uh, take notes. I mean, there were, there were options for her, but she nominates herself to do something that Jesus never asked her to do. I don't know if you ever do that, where you just take it upon yourself. Well, right, this food isn't going to cook itself. I got I to gotta get this thing done. And what happens is we, by taking on things that God never asked us to do, we come distracted to the point of we, we just miss the joy. And I see that so often in us. We have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to enjoy and we can't even see it. We can't even engage in it because we are so distracted by our to-do list, by the secondary things. And then after distraction comes resentment. See, outwardly, Martha's can look like great servants. And again, this is something we see all the time. They're serving, they're blessing, they're making food, they're leading ministries, they're doing stuff for you. But in this story, inside, Martha is seething. (laughs) She's just oozing with resentment at this point in the story. And I tell you because I, I, as a pastor of many years, I see this happen where maybe at some point somebody is moved by God to get involved in ministry and every now and then this will happen. Somebody will say, I'm tired of just sitting in the chair. I want to get involved in ministry. And maybe they'll be like, I'm going to get involved in kids' ministry or women's ministry or men's ministry or youth ministry or I want to get involved in helping feed people or, or you know, at the, at the pregnancy center or whatever it is. And they, they get involved and then it becomes very discouraging to them that every other person in the church doesn't totally get on board with them. And sometimes I'll see this happen, like somebody will start a ministry and have an event and everyone, you know, like just a few people show up or maybe sometimes, you know, we have a, maybe we have a missions trip and not everyone, we don't have 800 people go on the trip and we can't, and what happens is people get discouraged and they're like, what's wrong with our church? Why doesn't everybody value this thing the way I value this thing? And what, what can happen is like a Martha, we, we get so focused, we think that the thing that's most important to us should be most important to every other person that we know. And it develops in us resentment. What's wrong with these people? You know? What's wrong with this church? And so she comes to Jesus and she says, don't you even care, Jesus? Don't you care that I'm in the kitchen doing obviously the most important thing and my sister is just sitting here at your feet doing nothing? You know, she's just lazy. She just, hey, tell her to get involved and to help me. And she's, res- notice this, she's not just resentful of Mary, is she? She's resentful of Jesus. Her attitude is kind of like, I'm the only person in this house that really gets this. So not only am I going to rebuke my sister, I'm going to rebuke God himself for not getting on, you know, in line with my program. And, and so that's what she does. She, and I think, again, this can happen with us. We, we don't just resent other people who don't fall in line with us. We start to resent God for not doing what we think he should do. I mean, I can pick, I, I just picture Jesus maybe looking back at Martha at this point and going, Martha, of, you know, of course I care. I'm about to go to the cross and I'm going to die for this stinky attitude that you have, you know, and all the rest of your sin. Of course I care. And thanks for the cake. It was really good. You know, like I just, but we can become resentful and then comes this, this need to, then we just 
try to start controlling the people around us. It's part of this pathology. I love, she tells Jesus, tell my sister to help me. <laughs> it's like, I've already tried with her. I already sent her a text. She didn't get up. She didn't come in. So just tell her. Like, and notice again, who is Martha bossing her? Who is Martha trying to control? Not just Mary, but, but Jesus himself. That's a bad day. When you get to that point and you find yourself trying to control not only everybody around you, but God himself. And Martha's just saying, you know, I guess I better take charge because no one else can. And, and Jesus and Mary need to get with my program. And again, instead of maybe just, maybe just coming up to Jesus and saying, I feel like we need to have something to eat. And I, I understand why you're teaching. And I don't understand what my sister's doing. And could you help me figure this out? Sometimes that's a good approach. <laughs> just to ask God, help me understand Instead of just assuming you, you know the solution and telling God what to do. So, distraction, resentment, controlling. And here's our big idea for this weekend. Our big idea, and that is, we need to be those who are Mary first and then Martha. Right? Not, a, not a new concept, not a mind-blowing concept, but probably a good one for us to remember even this time of year. We need to be people who are Mary first and then Martha. In verse 41, the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha. And, and the repetition of a name in that day was a term of endearment. It wasn't chastisement. I, Jesus isn't mad at her. He, he loves her. I, I kind of picture maybe Jesus smiling and going, Martha, right? Come on, Martha. You're anxious and you're troubled about so many things. She's freaking out. She's, she's grumpy. She's probably in the kitchen banging pots, you know, so people can hear she's popping Prilosec and Rolaids, you know, just she's all worked up. And Jesus says, you just, you're worked up about all this stuff. It's just so many things. You're, you're trying to multitask when really you should just be doing one thing. Just one thing. That's what he says. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen that. Mary's chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You know, there, there's so many things, so many good things, so many worthy things that you can put on your to-do list, right? You may feel that pressure every day. People asking you to do things, asking you to give your time, asking you to give your money and to give of yourself. There are endless great things that you can give your life and your time to. But Jesus says there's one thing that's more important than all of them than everything else on your to-do list combined. And he says, Mary has chosen that, the, the good portion. And that good portion, which is an interesting, interesting phrase, that good portion is, is Jesus. I think he's trying to paint a picture when he uses the, the term good portion in all sorts of ways. But one is that all day long, Mary has, or Martha has been preparing a meal for Jesus. She's been preparing a meal and maybe she set the table and maybe at the end of the table she put an extra nice place setting and the, and the best chair and then maybe as she made dinner she set aside like the best piece of chicken, you know, and the, the biggest slice of cake and all that so that Jesus would get the best portion. And what he's saying here is that she's been so distracted by trying to bless, to, to do something for God to give God the best portion that she actually missed the portion that God wanted to give to her. Because that always comes first. 
See, Mary got the best feast of all. She got to spend time with Jesus, something that would never be taken away from her. There's two ways to understand that never be taken away from her. One way to understand it is Jesus is telling Martha, I'm not going to send her away. The other way to understand it is what she's receiving from me can never be taken from her. And I think both of these things are true here. Martha is so distracted that she misses the blessing, the best portion that God has for her. Jesus is our good portion, our best portion, the best thing that you and I can ever, ever receive into our life. The one that can never be taken away from us. When, when you have a good meal, and maybe some of you had some great meals at Thanksgiving, right? And it, it, all day long you had to smell it and it was cooking, and, you know, or you had to cook it, and, and then you ate the meal. But once a, even a great meal, once it's over, it's over. It's over and you move on. But when you spend time with Jesus, when you take in the word of God, because man does not live on bread alone, but in every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, when you receive the word of God, when you take that in, you have that forever and that blesses you, that changes you and that can never be taken away from you. So the pattern is this, in life, in our cycle of life, even on a daily basis, we need to be Mary first and then be Martha. We need to spend time with Jesus and then do stuff, right? We need to worship like Mary and then work like Martha. And both of those, again, are needed. Like if all that Mary ever did was sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him teach and she never put any of that into action, I mean, that would be a problem. If all she ever did was, was study about serving other people, but she never served anyone, or if all she did is studied about loving people, she knew, you know, the Greek words for love, but she never loved anyone or forgave anyone or was generous with anyone. If she, if she studied all about the gospel and had it outlined, and, but she never shared the gospel with with anyone, that would be another kind of problem. But we need both of these, to be Mary first and then to be Martha, to worship Jesus first and then go live a life of worship for him, to go do the work that God has called us to do. So we want Mary's heart in Martha's hands. Now having said that, I think one of the really big challenges is that we really live in a Martha world. We live in a Martha society. Because in, in our world, being overcommitted, multitasking all the time, being busy all the time to the point of utter distraction is actually a badge of honor in our society, right? How are you doing? I'm busy. Again, no one ever goes around and says, you know, I don't know. I don't have anything to do. Nobody's calling me. No one's texting me. Or, you know, no, we don't do that. And, and because of that, we're so distracted and we end up taking on all sorts of things that Jesus never asks us to do. We, we become so distracted by the technology around us because we have no focus, no, no purpose. I mean, in particular, and maybe you've seen this, but there's so much research coming out right now about the effects of, of the smartphones that we have. And I've got one and I like my phone, so I admit it, it can be a distraction for me too. But how distracting they have become for us and, and how much we really don't get it and don't understand how, it, how it's like an interesting thing. And this struck me the other day. Um, I have a lot of meetings and, and I have a fair amount of meetings where I get together with people and we pray because we feel like, uh, despite the 
current debate uh, in New York, we actually feel like prayer changes things. Like, you know, God listens and, and that's a good thing. But here's what I've noticed lately. I go into a lot of meetings and during the entire prayer time, people's phones are buzzing and vibrating and going off. And it, you know, what it occurred to me the other day was, how has it come to this that that's just acceptable? That when we get together to pray, it's okay to have your phone buzzing and beeping because who knows? There might be, somebody might be saying something about you on Facebook that's actually more important than the person you're praying for and you got to figure that out, right? Instead of like turning, so you know that your phone has this little, that it's in different places on the phone, but it's this little switch and if you hit it, it'll turn your phone off, right? It's this really cool little button that they have. Or you can put it into airplane mode, right? So you don't have to, and I actually said that yesterday and somebody said, I don't get that, what does that do? And I said, well, if you put it in airplane mode, your phone is basically cut off from the outside world. So you can look at your calendar and stuff, but you won't receive text and email. And they're like, well, then how do I get text? I'm like, well, you, well, you don't, that was the point. You could just see it wasn't quite, it wasn't quite. And I see, I think for many of us, like we go to church and our phones are buzzing. We go, uh, we go out to dinner with our husband, with our wife. And we somehow think that's okay. Like that's a good evening to be together. Phones are buzzing. And I mean, how often do you go to restaurants and you see everyone's on their phone? Folks, this is not Okay. I mean, if you're in some kind of emergency business where you, you know, life's life and death, I, I get that even then sometimes. You got to turn it off. But this is not acceptable. See, this is the, when you live in a Martha world, you forget that these things are not okay. In our culture right now, it's common for us to, to answer email as it comes in. I don't know if you know this, but that's probably one of the worst possible practices you could ever do is to just let your email ring all day long. Lots of research, you can go look it up. I'll send you an email about it. Um, <laughs> research says that for most of us, the first thing we do in the morning is check our phone. The last thing we do at night is check our phone. Studies say that because of that, we are increasingly disengaged in our surroundings. Increasingly, we are with people, but we are not with people. We are, we are watching some, something. We are somewhere, but we are not we are not there. We are, we are experiencing higher levels of anxiety. But I'll tell you what. I watched a show recently on some research that's been done about 13-year-olds and social media. Absolutely petrifying. What they're being asked to deal with and manage. And how, how terrible it is that parents are not stepping in and helping kids who are not prepared to deal with this. And it's creating levels of anxiety that they are not prepared. And it's not just them, it's adults as well. Insomnia, it's affecting our ability to focus. It's affecting our ability to be present. There's even research that's suggesting that when children are involved in constant social media, it's, it's not just distracting them. There's evidence that it's actually remapping their brain and making it physiologically almost impossible for them to really focus on anything for longer than a very short amount of time. And we think about how that's going to impact their future. See, in a Martha world, we just, we just say that's the way it is. And sometimes when I have conversations with people like this, they just look at me like, you know, when were you born? <laughs> 
because we're so inundated with this. Folks, this is not okay. See, in a Martha world, our day starts in the morning. So I ran across this this week, and I thought this was so intriguing. In a Martha world, we think that the day starts in the morning. All right, technically at midnight, but most of us aren't up. So most of us think when we get up in the morning, that's when the day begins. Now, what's the morning like for most people? For most people, it's rushed. It's hurried. You got to get the kids dressed. You got to get them off the school. You got to, if you got to be somewhere, you got to beat traffic. You got to, you got to get some caffeine and you got to check your email. And for most of us in a Martha world, you get up and you go. Now I know a few people who can get up in the morning, be very calm, read the Bible. My wife's one of those. She loves that. But for most of us in a Martha world, it's not the way it works. But in the order of creation, just think about this for a minute. In the way that God made the world, when does a day begin? Remember this? The day begins at sunset. In the order of creation, the way it works is the sun sets, and that's when the new day begins. I was reading some interesting stuff about that this week, just in terms of how we experience things. So for instance, in biblical times, in fact, for most of human history, before there was electricity and, and, and lighting like we have today, when the sun set, people went home, they got in their house, they lit a candle, put a log on the fire, they had dinner with their family, they, they fellowshiped, right? They would read their Bible, they would pray. There were no distractions, there was no Wi-Fi, there's no Facebook, no, no email, no text, there's no, no TV to binge on, none of that kind of stuff, right? You couldn't get in your car and drive somewhere. You were at home, you slowed down, you would wind down. And here's why I find this interesting. It, it occurred to me, you know, through most of my Christian life, people have always told me, if you're a really spiritual person, you always give God the first part of your day, right? Which we think is the morning. And for most of us, giving God the best part of the day isn't really the morning, it's a crazy thing. But in the, in the order of creation, giving God the first part of your day would mean giving God part of your evening. Setting aside some time to be like Mary in the evening when the sun goes down, and to sit at the feet of the Savior. So that when the morning comes, have you, have you noticed, and I, maybe it's just me, but whatever state of mind I'm in when I go to bed is the state of mind I usually tend to wake up in. So if I'm reading my email and trying to solve a problem when I go to bed, it's usually what I wake up doing. But if as I'm going to bed, I've been worshiping God, that's usually what I'm thinking about when I wake up. If I was reading my Bible, reading scripture, thinking about it before I go to bed, that's usually what I'm thinking about when I wake up the next morning. If I spend some time worshiping God before I go to bed and you know, pass out at night, right? that's usually what I'm thinking of when I get up in the morning. So this brings this interesting concept like giving God the first part of our day is giving God part of our evening, setting it aside and protecting it, connect with God so that when we wake up the next morning, we're ready to go and live for God. We're ready to be Martha because we've already been married. So my question is, what are you doing with your evenings? Do you have time in your evenings for what's most important? Do you have time to sit at the feet of the Savior? To read your Bible, to pray, to maybe to join people together for fellowship, to go to a grow group? Or, or are you just distracted in your evenings? Is it just text and email and TV and video games and your to-do list? And my suggestion is you need to get it figured out. How can you spend some time at the feet of the Savior? 
so that you can be Mary. And the next morning you can be Martha. I think Jesus invites Martha to something better. And maybe that's his invitation to you right now. He's inviting you to make time in your day to sit at his feet, to let go of your distraction, to do something about that, to get control of those things so they don't control you, to let go of your resentfulness and your weariness and your self-imposed stress, all the stuff you take on yourself that God never asked you to do. So let me close this in your notes on the backside. A couple just really practical things. What do you do as you go from here? The first is you may need to repent. (laughs) To repent of your distractions. Here's what I mean. To repent means you just recognize a problem for what it is. And for many of us, that's that's a very first and difficult step to take. And again, I've had lots of conversations over people, with people over the last few weeks and when we talk about these things like turning off your phone or that you are distracted or that it's not okay to be at dinner with your wife and be answering texts from people at work and that kind of stuff, people sometimes they just look at me like, again, I think you're nuts. But that's because they need to repent. So um, where do you need to repent? Where do you need to admit that distraction is not good? that you need to deal with it. Maybe you need to repent of your smartphone habits or, or your Facebook addiction or, or TV or your to-do list or whatever it is. Repent simply means to, to change your mind about something. Spiritually, it means that I agree with God and that I change direction. I start moving toward God and his will for my life. The second thing is you might need to apologize to a few people. There may be a few Marys in your life and this is something that's come out over the last few weeks in some conversations And I'd like to say it came out in different ways, but a lot of the ways that this came to me was because I'm such a Martha and I have Marys in my life and they just pointed this out. You might need to apologize for the nagging and the controlling and the frustration and the bitterness. See, here's what's going on. Mary's trying to be like Jesus and Martha doesn't want her to. Martha wants Mary to be like Martha. And so often in life, isn't that what we do to people? Instead of trying to help them become like Jesus, we're just trying to control them so that they'll be like us. So you might need to apologize to your spouse, your kids, your parents, your friends. And the last thing is this, to reprioritize. It may be that you need to take control of your evening. You need to carve out some time so that you can sit at the feet of Jesus and then you need to ruthlessly protect it. Give priority to the word of God. Spend time in prayer and fellowship with other people. I just find that if I don't sit at the feet of Jesus first before I do anything, it just negatively impacts my conversations, my relationships, my actions and reactions, my stress level. And usually when I feel this stuff ramping up, usually what it means is I haven't had time at the feet of the Savior before I got busy be Martha in my world. So be Mary first and then be Martha. And I think Christmas is a really great time for us to remember this, right? Because I think at Christmas we can get so busy celebrating the birth of Jesus that we never actually spend any time with Jesus. So we want to be Mary first at the feet of the Savior first and then Martha. Let's pray together.